outside? Should I run and hide? How do I take my company worldwide? Do you love the law? Did you watch Hee Haw? What's the weirdest thing that you ever saw? What's it like in court? Favorite sport? Can you help with my book report? Is my hair too long? Am I right or wrong? And do you mind if I sing along to anything? Ask Alan anything in the world. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of... Uh... Ask Alan the podcast. I'm Alan Crone, the CEO of the Crone Law Firms. And uh, we've got with us today uh, Mr. Williams uh, Brack, who uh, is the B Director of Business Development at uh, CBiz Accounting Firm. How are you doing today? Alan, I'm, uh, I'm doing great. Thanks for the invite and thanks for having me. You're welcome. Thanks for being on the show. Uh, I'm always uh, grateful when people take a little bit of time out to share themselves and their 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 business with uh, with me and, and my listeners so thank you so much well let's get right let's get right to it our uh, the question I ask a lot of people um are you a um native Memphian so it depends on uh, who I'm talking to I was actually <laughs> I was actually born in Greenwood Mississippi where I did elementary school I did middle school in Chicago and I attended a uh, Carver High School here in Memphis. So I do have a high school to claim, but originally I wasn't born in Memphis. Well, you know, uh, in Memphis, uh, where you went to high school is very important. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so we'll claim you. We'll claim you. I, I appreciate that. I'm grateful. Uh, well, you know, if you ever run for president, uh, you you can be the favorite son uh, from three different states. That might help <laughs> Illinois being one of them. So that's, you know, that's a whole lot of electoral votes right there. Yeah, absolutely. You can tell I'm a I'm a recovering politician. I, I go I go straight to the electoral college. I, I don't know if you're quite recovering. You you might uh, <laughs> venture back in the future. <laughs> well, um, all right. So you you went to Carver. Where'd you do? Uh, where'd you do undergraduate? So I, I did a couple of years at Jackson State before I transferred and finished at Morehouse College with a uh, a finance degree. Uh, left Morehouse College to do wealth management planning and investment advisory with Northwestern Mutual in Atlanta. So moved back to Memphis in about 2014. All of my family's located here. Um, two children were born here. Two boys were born here. Aunts, uncles, cousins, everybody's here in Memphis. So I came back and made a transition into commercial lending, uh, both ABL and cash flow lending. And that brings me to today with CBiz doing uh, accounting and tax work. So, uh, how do you, um, how does one become the director of business development for a, a major accounting firm? Uh, sure, for, particularly from a financial background. So, I uh, that's that's a really good question. So, I'm a, I'm a finance major um, from Morehouse College, as I mentioned. And so I've I've had this kind of world view of finance. I've done investments um, and insurance. That role is primarily sales and business development. I was a uh, I did business development and banking, so commercial lending. So that's uh, lending money, that's treasury work, that's banking, and same thing at another local bank. We did commercial lending. And so that's all relationships. Right? So in financial planning, you meet a lot of people on the personal side of things. In the banking world, you meet a lot of business owners and entrepreneurs on the business side of things. And when you 
talk about the accounting and tax side, I'm talking to the same CEOs and CFOs that I would in banking. The difference is now, instead of maybe a few loan products, I have about 250 different services I can provide here at uh, CBiz. And uh, I'll ask you a silly question. Do you enjoy, do you enjoy essentially building relationships and um, promoting uh, uh, services? So I do. So people are a hobby. Like I, I really and genuinely like people. Um, and people read books, some listen to podcasts, some do YouTube, but an underrated way of learning things is through people. And so one, I get to meet uh, tremendously interesting people. Um, I also get to meet uh, meet and build relationships with high achieving people. And then I get to help them solve their problems. And so I, I certainly enjoy the business development side. And, and with sort of a Swiss Army knife like CBiz, whatever the problem is outside of legal work. So I don't, I will not encroaching on your territory, uh, Alan and, and lending money. CBiz likely provides that service. Well, um, who is your, uh, as, as uh, the business development officer for, for CBiz, uh, who is your, your, who's your target? Who are you looking to, to build a relationship? Yeah. Good question. Um, in the middle market, we primarily closely hail businesses, private, closely hail. So that could be anywhere from 15, 20 million up to four or five billion dollars, as long as they're closely held in private. And that's the core target for the services we provide here in Memphis. So those are our clients for accounting, for tax, for state and local tax work. But we work with smaller businesses and entrepreneurs doing bookkeeping. We work with public companies on the other end doing tax provisions and internal audit and learning uh, loan staff out to organizations as well. So, but Alan, this is boring accounting and finance stuff, man. It's not as interesting as the law. Well, uh, it just depends, like you say, where you stand depends on where you sit. Yeah. And, um, you know, when you have a legal problem or an accounting problem, it's boring to everybody but you. <laughs> well, I've always been uh, interested in the intersection between law and uh, finance and accounting, right? Where where does the legal part in and the the CPAs and accountants pick up from the attorneys? You know, that's a it's really interesting um, concept because um, you know lawyers I find come at a problem one way, and the accountants come in with a completely different way. And what they, I think what they share is their reliance on data. In the law, we call it facts. And I think in accounting, you'd call it data and data points. Talk a little bit about how an accounting firm like CBiz can help a business, let's say, you know, a $20 million business got 200 employees. How can that, how can your company help that company understand its data? Yeah, absolutely. So we have a team that does big data analytics for any problem or issue you want to solve. If we look at the current environment, uh, sort of financial planning and analysis, budgeting and forecasting in this uncertain economy is a is a huge trend. We see a lot of companies utilizing those services. And then from the audit side, if a bank says, hey, in order for us to give you this 10, 15 million dollars, you need a outside trusted um, opinion, then CBiz can handle that work as well. And 
we live in a, a time where everything's increasing in regulations and taxes. You want someone that's knowledgeable, not only to file your taxes, but to give you some strategy and advice around the best things you should be doing between you, your partner, business, personal, um, everything that uh, encapsulates being a business from the HR side. I mean, we have a benefits company, Alan, and, and it's just so much that we can do for an organization, including the accounting and tax space. It um, it's always good to find a company that can that can know you know your business and wrap a bunch of services around, so you don't have to explain what you do every time you want to, uh, like you say, do HR or benefits or sure or, or or other things. I think in, in the business development space, that's certainly my role is to understand a company as much as I can or as closely as I can to how the owners understand it. And from there, they operate as the head coach. I'll operate as the quarterback. And whatever the issue is, we have the ability to address it. And when you can make one call to solve a lot of different things that you need, then that that is tremendous value there. How do, how do you typically, um, how are you introduced to uh, potential uh, clients and how do you develop that relationship? I, I'm, I guess what I'm saying is that I assume that it's not a, a matter of making a cold call and uh, two minutes later you're doing business. It's more of a relationship, right? It, it's certainly a relationship and it's timing. Because even if you have the relationship, there might not be a need for an audit. You might have a tax person that you've been working with for the longest of times. But on a business development side, it's personal relationships like you in different capacities. I've involved I've been involved in politics. So you meet a lot of people that way. Um, I serve on a number of boards, uh, one being the downtown Memphis Commission. I serve on Leadership Memphis, Young Wall Street Traders, Building Memphis. So between you know politics, board work, being out and about in a community for different things that benefit the city of Memphis, you you meet people and then you follow up and then you follow up again. And I tell people, I don't necessarily sell anything. That's why we call it business development. It's really say, hey, these are the things that we do. And we give an example of it. And when the timing is right, uh, because you know I'm one of the person that's operating in a accounting tax and financial services space, when the need arises, you give us a call. What um, what's uh, and I'm trying to think of a way to, to to ask this question in a meaningful way. Um, but you have so many, I mean, just over 200 service lines that you can offer. What's the most uh, obscure that you know, that that maybe I'd be surprised that an accounting firm provides that service? Absolutely. So since I'm not an accountant by trade, some of it surprises me as well. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I could tell you, I received a call at this point about two weeks ago, and the call was related to the Affordable Care Act. Uh, this particular company, they did not offer benefits to their employees, one for a financial reason, but two for a psychological reason. Um, and the reason they didn't was because it was less expensive to pay the Affordable Care Act fees than it was to actually offer benefit. And then psychologically, they had some incentives for the employees where it didn't make sense. Well, I didn't know we did this until 
I put out the bat signal at CBiz and we have a practice that does $1.5 million a year in revenue, calculating and paying Affordable Care Act fees for compliance work. Um, so things of that nature, it's really obscure, but we have someone to do that. Um, yeah. Well, I'm gonna put you on the spot. Um, what is, a, 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 can you set uh, the record straight on, I, I get all these emails from uh, people who want to get me $26,000 per uh, employee uh, for uh, folks that I employed during the, uh, uh, during the pandemic. What's yeah. that all about? So more than likely you're referring to the uh, employee retention tax credit. And there's two ways that you can qualify. It's, it's a totally legitimate uh, federal program. And there's a couple of ways that you can qualify. One is a dropping gross receipts. It's a simple math question. Did you make less money in uh, 2020 and 2021 did you, than you did in 2019? Easy. Uh, the other one is a partial shutdown in business, meaning that the pandemic and government regulations of closing your business or employees working from home or having to wear masks or clean up, that the pandemic and government regulated and mandated uh, pandemic laws affect your business in any quarter during 2020, 2021. And what we've been doing here at CBiz, this is a great layup, Alan, is <laughs> the, the, the partial shutdown in business is a little bit more complicated and is a bit more nuanced, partially because the government hasn't finalized rules yet. And so if you take these tax credits, you wanna be careful. Our process here at CBiz is to not only do the financial calculations, but to partner with a law firm to document um, what happened, the impact on your business. And that serves as a, a couple of different things. One, it serves as a time capsule to everything that you've done. Two, it creates a attorney-client privilege, not only for the business, which would be you, but also for the work that's been done on the accounting side. And then three, when the audit or if an audit happens, you have all this work prepared to defend like, hey, we got this money and here's why we applied for it and here's all the information. And so it's a totally legitimate program, but you need to uh, employ a reputable firm if you're choosing to, uh, to go after that money. Because one of the things the IRS is doing now is they're pursuing their audit work based on the firm that applied for it on a on a, a company's behalf. What um, what advice would you give a? And this is another another alley oop for you, I, I would imagine. But I think it's really important. Uh, what advice would you give a uh, an entrepreneur of whatever degree who? just has a tax accountant that they see once a year for, for doing their taxes. How important is it to have a um, regular relationship with, uh, with an accountant and an accounting firm? So that, that's a great question, Alan. I think one of the primary things most entrepreneurs should do is graduate and evolve from simply, I have someone to do my taxes to I have a person who can advise me on the best strategy, uh, what, what can be written off 
what are the incentives and credits that I qualify for? Not, hey, here are my financials, file my taxes for me. But there's a uh, any, a really efficient way to, um, what we, what we want to say is pay as few taxes as possible in the most legal way uh, possible, right? There, there, there's an intersection there. And you want to keep as much money for, for yourself, your family, and your business as possible while paying your fair share to the government. And you want someone to advise you on that. And then in addition, you keep a regular relationship because you know we can advise ways on growth, uh, opportunities, you know how law firm, how important uh, being an attorney, you know how important legal advice is when you're going into new ventures, you're adding business lines, things of that nature. There's also a financial component to all of those. And you want a regular just, hey, I'm thinking about doing this. What do you think relationship? Yeah, I think uh, some of the best advice I ever uh, got when I uh, started my own firm is uh, a friend of mine who's uh, in business, not a lawyer, but he said, look, you if you're going to be in business, you need to have a relationship with a lawyer, with a with a, an accountant and a banker and maybe an insurance agent and to touch base with them frequently and, um, you know, have a deep relationship because uh, and when, it, when it comes to accounting, uh, it's the it's the the data that that an accountant can help you manage and sift through and really understand um, how to how to use the data that your own that your own business is generating, and then as you say, when you get get to the point where you're going to grow, um, you can talk to those people about uh, almost like a board of advisors uh, to um, to you know to mentor you through it, even if you don't have a mentor per se in, in business. Uh, Alan, you couldn't have written a better billboard for professional advisors. I'll I'll tell you something that I, I do on the side is I, I do a seminar and that seminar is called Building Bankable Businesses because most businesses that grow in any kind of meaningful way, most businesses that are being bought and sell in any kind of meaningful way involve other people's money. And typically bank money, but there's a huge gap of misunderstanding between what the bankers know and what entrepreneurs expect from the financial system. And so I take entrepreneurs through uh, understanding from a banker's perspective what they're looking for, because in general, I don't think bankers do a good job to say, hey, we need this before you come in and talk to us. Not ahead of time, not early. And so we take people through the uh, the five C's of banking, which if you're a bank or a lender or a nonprofit lender, you want to look at the five C's of credit. Then we take people through the different types of lenders. Banks are the cheapest money you can get. But sometimes there are big money center banks like Bank of America, J.P. Morgan and Wells Fargo. Then you have great regional banks like First Tennessee or Regions or Truist. But then you have local uh, community banks like Capital, like um, Guarantee Bank or Bank Bank One Plus or Simmons Bank, right? So uh, there's different types, and they're all different. But then you have nonprofit lenders like Pathway or River City Capital that can give you access to credit even if you don't qualify for bank money. 
So it's important to understand that nuance that one just because one lender told you no, you can go right across the street and they may say yes. And then the last piece of that seminar, to your point, is the professional advisors that you need, right? For sure, you want to get a attorney in to your business before it even starts, as soon as possible to talk strategy, because that legal insurance is, is critical. You want to make sure that you're doing things by the books. You want an accountant in your business um, as soon as possible, because you accounting is the language of business. And so you want to be able to account for everything and using that data, that financial information, you can use that to make decisions. You want a commercial insurance broker to protect you in a case anything happens uh, at your business or, or personally. And then you want a banker because you want to start having conversations with those people early as possible so you can figure out best practices of how to grow your business. One of the most powerful things you can say to a banker or uh, someone trying to buy your business is, hey, call my accountant. Because, and then that accountant just emails you all the data and information that could possibly need, and it makes your life infinitely easier. So I urge entrepreneurs a lot of times to make sure you budget for a good attorney and make sure you budget for a good accountant and make sure you ask bankers questions about the lending process before you ever need the money. Yeah, I think um, one, um, maybe maybe people are a little too intimidated by by uh, asking a bank for money that they forget that the bank is in the business of loaning money, and uh, and so they're they're eager to do it, but you've got to you've got to make sure, particularly in this day and age, you've got to make sure that you're a that you're a good bet uh, and that you can pay the money back, and and once you establish that, and once you establish a relationship. Um, you know, bankers can, can bail you out if you've got that relationship, but if they don't know you from Adam, um, it's awfully hard that, uh, I, I fell bass backwards into a a great banking relationship, um, several years ago. And, um, you know, they've seen me go up and they've seen me go down, but they know where my equilibrium is and you can't, you can't buy that sort of trust. Well, Alan, The, the most important question you need to answer when you're thinking about uh, taking anybody's money, a bank or investor, anyone is, if I give you this money, how can you prove using numbers that you can repay? Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's important to have good character because when things go down, as they often do, what goes up must come down. You have to be a, a person of such character that you can communicate um with the people that whom which you owe money or people who are invested in your business so you're you're you sound like a seasoned business professional that you are Alan. well you know experience is what you get when you don't get what you want <laughs> and i've got lots of experience no i, I but I, I think from the entrepreneur side of things the lessons that you've learned you're hitting them all spot on well it's also you know 30 years of of representing business people in lawsuits, um, I can I can tell you that uh, uh, very often those uh, disputes come out of um, haste. Mm-hmm. You know that, that people rushed into a, a business uh, arrangement with a partner, or they um, rushed into a commercial transaction and really didn't understand the risks, uh, or just didn't heed the risks. 
And so, uh, uh, so I'm just a big believer in I can um, I can save you a lot of money if you come and talk to me ahead of time, uh, or uh, you can help put my kids through college by not coming to talk to me and then, ha- then ha- having me bail you out of a, of a lawsuit. I would much rather do the former rather than the latter um, because it makes everybody happier. Well, so let, let's give the, uh, the listeners a, a good teaser then of nuggets. So before I enter into a business partnership with two or three other individuals, what are some of the things I should consider from a legal perspective? Oh, wow. Uh, well, number one is who's in charge. Uh, I see people come to me all the time uh, doing a, a formation and they want to be 50-50. And I say, okay, you can split the money 50-50, but you need to decide who's in charge. Because if you're both in charge, nobody's in charge. And if you can't agree on that, then, you know, maybe then you really need to ask yourself, do you want to go into, into business together? Mm-hmm. Um, and that leads to a, a number of other uh, conversations. But that's number one is uh, somebody needs to be in charge. Uh, The next thing uh, is make sure that you've got good tight uh, agreements, you know, that you've, um, you know, if you're the kind of business that uses like, like ours do, uh, uh, you know, we use uh, agreements for legal services and you use engagement agreements in, in your business. And so really make sure that you think through those agreements where the the, the risks going to be and how do you want to allocate them and how do you want to do business as an entity? And that, you know, again, that leads to a number of other conversations. And this last one is uh, not necessarily a hundred percent legal uh, question, but it, it factors into so many things, particularly on the HR side. Yep. And that is, what is your mission? What is your mission as a, as an entity? And people think, oh, that's kind of kumbaya stuff. And I, you know, 10 years ago, I would have said the same thing. I'm saying the same thing today, Alan. So help me out, please. All right. But if you, if your company has a mission, then you hire to that mission. And I'll give you just a a, a broad stroke kind of thing. If, if you are like me, I'm a, I'm an employment lawyer. I'm a business lawyer and I'm hiring a great lawyer, but that lawyer doesn't believe in capitalism. Maybe they're, you know, they've come up through the ranks and they're union lawyer through and through. And they always think management is uh, the devil or vice versa. Someone who's always been in uh, representing big companies and we represent people. Sometimes our people uh, own businesses. If you can't get into the mission of helping individual breadwinners solve legal problems that affect their ability to make money, then you don't need to come work at my at my my office. You're not going to be happy um, if you're not happy with accountability. We we hold people accountable in in pu- very public ways uh, to show that we're all uh, working towards that mission. Uh, then you're going to have problems. And if you train to the mission, if you uh, correct and coach to the mission. My prediction is you're going to have less employment issues, uh, human uh you know, human resource issues than if if you don't. A little technical problem here at uh, uh, Operations Central, uh, but we're back and uh, uh, I've got a new uh, device the uh, filming here. So you'll see I got a different background, but that's just that shows how, how flexible we all are here at the Chrome Law Firm. So um, 
I was was saying when I was so rudely interrupted by technology um, that you know I think mission is important and um, uh, it 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 really does help you make decisions and you go along with that you have core uh, um, values that you espouse and if you hire to those values and hire to uh, uh, your mission. I, I think you're not going to need nearly as much discipline and all that sort of thing than if you if you don't have it. But that's just that's just my two cents worth. And Alec, I appreciate you for sharing that, especially point number two of having tight agreements and agreeing to and understanding how you're going to spread out risks. And I think experience is critical with that component. Because you, if you've been around a while, 20, 30, you've been practicing 10, 15, 20 years, you've seen a lot of different disputes. And you know now to address those on the front end when people see you early, whereas a new young attorney, there are things they might not have think of, th thought of because they haven't been in the trenches with some of these disputes. Yeah, it's um, uh, and it's hard to always uh, anticipate the risks that you're going to get. Um I, I, I saw someone say that 90% of the U.S. presidency is dealing with things that you didn't talk about during the campaign. Yeah. Um, you know, unknown risks that come along. But if you've got if you've got good agreements, um, and if you know if there's something that's really, really, really important to you, whether it's an agreement with a business partner or with a business colleague, I, I think you need to talk about it. And a lot of times, people say, "Well, I don't want to." crater the deal. But if it's something that's material to you and it's just hanging out there in the wind, it's going to come back and bite you. So uh, I always encourage people to, to talk about it and be able to be able to walk away from a deal that isn't as good as you thought it was going into it. Alan, is it me or does business sound a lot like marriage? <laughs> well, it, it really is. I, you know, that's one of the things I love about what I do is, you know, your relationship with your employer your relationship with your company, you know, in America, who we are is what we do. And it's so important. And, you know, a lot of these things, people just want to say, oh, you know, job descriptions or this or that. Uh, it, they're incredibly important. And uh, uh, people like you and me who, who help businesses, I, I just, I, I think we, you're really helping people because uh, businesses are the, the, the conduit that people put food on the table, whether, you know, you're, you're getting a W-2 and you're performing a low, uh, a low level role, or you're the CEO or owner and at a, you know, a quote, higher role, everything everybody does is so important. And uh, not just important to, to the company, but important to their self-worth. And uh, I, I hate to see that disrupted in any way. So I like how many of these disputes would you say that you've worked on over the years comes down to uh, arguments and disputes over money between partners? hundred percent. And, and, and how people are counting the money. That's right. That's right. You know, uh, and that's where a good accounting firm can come in. Um, but I mean, I just had one not too long ago where, uh, you know, the, how are you going to calculate what the profit is? You know, the most powerful people in Hollywood are the accountants because they're the ones who determine, you know, what the net uh, growth, what the net gross of the film is going to be. And 
if you don't have that agreed to, then whoever has the most economic power and leverage is going to be is going to be able to take advantage of the person who does it. And that doesn't necessarily mean that she's going to do it, but you certainly want to make sure that you that you're protected, what, no matter which side of that equation you're on. You know, it, it so it's interesting um, talking to you because you get to see um, on the back end of business when things go bad, right? So that's uh, that's extremely pessimistic. I'm on the front end of things where people love talk about going into business together and entity creation and investing in things. So it, it, it's it's interesting to hear about some of the pitfalls that you may encounter on the back end and that you should be a little bit, a bit more, greatly more judicious on the front end. I, I, here's another piece of general advice I'll throw out there for business people. If, if you're on the short end of the money stick going in, you know, you've got the idea or you're going to be doing the work and you've got a, a partner who's just please put more money in or just has more money to, to deal with. And I don't mean this in a divisive way, but you need to make sure that you have your own lawyer uh, in that transaction. And I don't care how much you trust them. I don't care if it's your dad. I don't care if it's you know your bestest buddy in the world. Um, you need to have your own lawyer. If nothing else, somebody that has a duty just for you that can tell you the way it is. And I find so frequently that doesn't happen. You know, the, the, uh, the, mon the money guy says, look, I, I got a lawyer, I'll take care of it. And the, 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 the guy who's got less money says, oh, great. I, I, mean, I don't have to come out of pocket. Spend two or $3,000 on the front end, having your own accountant, your own lawyer, your own banker, look at everything. Because if, it, if this is the, if this is the vehicle that is going to put food on your table for the next 20 years, or is going to be your, you're, you're an entrepreneur and you want to grow it and sell it. You need to make sure that all that effort is going to pay off and that you're not signing something that is one-sided and you don't realize. Mm. I appreciate that. All right. I know this is your podcast, but I have one more question. I was going to say, I'm, I'm enjoying doing your show. Uh, what about sweat equity? Is that even a legal term? Because I hear that it, it is. It, it is not a legal term. Um, I mean, it's a colloquialism, right? And um, uh, you can create it, but you have to document it. Mm. Um, you know, if you get into a lawsuit over who owns what in a in a company, uh, the first thing any judge is going to ask you is, okay, well, how much money did you put up? How much money did you put up? And dollars and cents is worth more than sweat equity just, you know, in, in a court of equity. Um, but you can still say, okay, look, I'm, I'm, I'm going to put up half a million dollars. Well, I'm putting up my, you know, so the other guy may say, well, I'm putting up my life. All right. That's where my 40% comes from. Now there are tax consequences for all of that. Right. Cause one guy's got a, a, a big basis and the other person doesn't have a basis. And so working all of that out, uh, you know, it, 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 it's just so, I mean, it's so important to have all of this documented and it's amazing how often uh, it doesn't. And, you know, we can have a handshake deal 50-50 on the proceeds two or three years from now with no, nothing documented. The guy who put up a half a million dollars may say, well, I put in half a million. How much did you put in? You know, uh, so I, you know, I should get 90%. Uh, uh, a buddy of mine calls that the great man principle. I'm the great man, so I deserve more money. Um, and, you, you know, you, 
There's an old Chinese proverb. The faintest ink is more powerful than the brightest memory. Write it down. Are, are you trying to tell, is that the that proverb a way to tell me that handshake agreements may not be legally enforceable? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you that, yes. Get it in writing. Get it in writing. Um, and if, if somebody balks at that, that's where you say check, please. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll see you. I'll see you around campus. But I, you know, you don't want to be in, in business with somebody who doesn't want to write down what they're telling. And you're not being you're not being rude or offensive by doing that. Um, that's just good. That's just good business. And I've had a lot of I've had a lot of deals where um, you know one side will play the other and say, you know, oh yeah, yeah, we'll get that written down. And all, then they get so far into it that uh, it, get, it can't be untangled. And then at the very last minute, the person says, well, I know, you know, we kind of talked about this or that, but here's, here's the way I really want to do it. And um, you need to get all of that decided and in writing before you, before you perform, particularly if you're the person who is doing all the work and the other person just is uh, putting up the money. Wow. I appreciate you for sharing that. Okay. This is your podcast. I, I just got a little curious mid-interview. My apologies. You're you're a good man. I appreciate it. Um, well, it is Ask Alan uh, <laughs> after all. So uh, so that's cool. That's cool. All right. Well, um, looking down uh, at the, the clock here, and I think we've, we've about run out of time. Uh, Williams, I appreciate your uh, uh, being on the on the show. And uh, folks, I, I'll tell you that uh, unsolicited, I will tell you that there's no finer group than CBiz. There are lots of good uh, accounting firms out there, but they're they're really uh, they good. They they're uh, a big outfit, but they have deep Memphis roots. And uh, uh, I appreciate you being on the show. A absolutely, our fearless leader Eustace Corrigan would appreciate you saying those words. Well, everybody, again, thank you for, for dropping in and listening to, uh, to us talk about uh, uh, business professionals and how to leverage them. And uh, uh, Williams Brock is going to go out and uh, help Memphis business people uh, count the beans. <laughs> and I'm going to go get some justice. Thank you all very much.